Awesome. Let's all stand together as we reverence the reading of God's Word. Uh, we've been in the series on Moses, uh, the man of God, and today a message I call the high cost of rebellion. Numbers chapter 16 and verse 3. And they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. The high cost of rebellion. <clears throat> Our message today is going to consider this. It was a catastrophically high cost of rebellion. The story will continue through several chapters of the Old Testament book of Numbers. I had it in mind to cover all three of these scenes because there's actually three scenes uh, that play out in this rebellion against Moses at this point in time. Uh, I won't, however, get past the first one. That ha happens from time to time. Uh, I plan on doing it one way, and then it, as it plays out, it plays out a different way. And that's okay. Uh, you'll be glad because I'll, we'll be home before 12 today. That's a, <clears throat> that's a good thing, I guess. Um, rebellion. Years after these scenes are going to play out with Moses and Numbers, Israel would select a king named Saul. He would be sent out to do battle with very specific instructions on how to deal with the enemies of God and the enemies of Israel. Uh, he was to take no captives. Uh, he was to bring back no spoil. And uh, instead, uh, Saul uh, decided on another plan. He brought back captives. He brought back soil and spoil. And he said, uh, I've just intended to make a sacrifice to God. We'll have a big worship service and show all a victory. He was confronted by the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 15. And Samuel said, Has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. I don't have time to preach on that passage. I bring it to you today for, because it says very specifically, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. The Hebrew word for witchcraft in this passage refers to one who practices divination. It was a person who claimed to be able to give powerful messages. Their activities were often linked with sorcery, which involved the use of powerful potions that they claimed then uh, to be able to produce certain outcomes, whatever it was. God, you see, had given Saul clear instructions, but instead of listening to God, he rebelled and listened to his own stubborn heart and mind. He came up with a different plan, and Samuel then said, rebellion 
It's just like witchcraft. It's just like you listen to a diviner, a sorcerer, even though it was your own stubborn heart. It's interesting that Saul would die after consorting with the witch of Endor, a diviner. Interesting. But now all we're going to see about this is how serious a matter of rebellion is. I want to add in a couple of other passages, Job 24, 13. There are those who rebel against the light, Job said. In the midst of his calamity and everything that was going on in his life, he would say there are those who rebel against the light. They do not know its ways nor a bad in its paths. Now, Job was not one of those. Uh, he was suffering, but not because he had rebelled against the light. And that was the point he was making. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 19, it comes on the heels of that very famous passage in Isaiah chapter 1, where we are invited by God. Come now, God said, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be red, or they, they shall be as white as snow. Or though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat of the fruit of the land. But if you refuse and rebel... You'll be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Another passage, Isaiah 36 and 5. I say you speak of having plans and power of war, but they are mere words. Now, in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? You, you see this recurring theme about rebellion. God has given us his word. God has given us his truth. God has given us sometimes very specific instructions. When we refuse to listen to God, when we listen to somebody else, when we take somebody else's word then over the word of God, we may not think of it that way, but God looks at it that way. It's rebellion. And he says, you might as well be listening to some soothsayer, some diviner. We, we don't often think that all the competing voices in our world are really just soothsayers, diviners. They're setting themselves against the truth of God to listen to them. To take their word over God's word is rebellion. It's rebellion. There, we'll see this play out in our text today. It's going to come down then. As you'll see it, it's a matter of faith. Do we believe God or not? Are we going to accept God at his word? Are we going to trust God's word? Are we going to put our confidence in something else or somebody else? Uh, this is a problem that's with us still. Uh, it happens any time that God's people believe the wrong spokesman. And they accept things as true that are absolutely false. Now, we'll see this play out again and again in the next few chapters in Numbers. But today, we'll see it only around the story of the man called Korah, Korah and his associates. In verse 1 of chapter 16, then in Numbers, now Korah, the son of Ezhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, uh, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. Uh, do you see the scene? 
They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord's among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? It's a very famous passage. It is found again in the New Testament all the way over in the book of Jude. Jude chapter uh, 1 and verse 11. Of course, it's only one chapter, Jude 11. But to them, for they have gone in the way of Canaan, they have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Woe to them, these false teachers who claim to be speaking for God, but they're speaking contrary to the word of God. Cain did it. Balaam did it. We'll see his story in a week or two or a few. And Korah did it. The rebellion of Korah. You see, the problem with Korah never goes away. It involves people who have a counterfeit revelation, a claim of divine power. They end up offering then a false message to God's people. They're very persuasive. They're good at what they do. Multitudes of people end up then caught up in following them. They don't realize that they have actually joined a rebellion against God. But they have. They have. 250 men in positions of leadership, Levites, elders, Renowned men in Israel, and they stirred up a massive mess. I can only imagine how Moses and Aaron must have felt when they see these 250 men walking up. Obviously, a very planned thing. They had it all planned out, followed by the whole congregation walking along behind them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I chuckled, you know. Uh, I've, I've been to a business meeting or two like that. <laughs> Where you, know, you could tell there was somebody there with an agenda. They had stirred up something. Had it all planned out. Their accusations then against Moses and Aaron are specifically recorded. First of all, they said to him, You take too much upon yourselves. They accused Moses and Aaron of taking the position of ruling over the entire assembly. The whole congregation of the Lord. They were, in their idea, they were running and controlling everything without consulting the congregation as a whole. They wanted a voice. They wanted a part in all the decisions. I remember a great pastor who once said, one of our greatest problems of God's people is... When we're trying to vote, but God hasn't put anything up for a vote. God isn't holding an election. And that can be very dangerous. Because you see, there are some things that just come to us as matters of obedience. Obedience to God. And the idea that we should have a vote as to whether we're going to obey God or not and do what God told us to do or not. I mean, that's a serious matter. I had to come to grips with that in my own life and ministry. And you've seen it played out. I've never really mentioned it to you. I grew up, and most of you did, in churches where when people made a profession of faith, we'd bring them forward and somebody would make a motion. I make a motion that we baptize them, basically. And the church would vote then to baptize them. I couldn't do that as a matter of conscience. 
I tried to ask a lot of seminary professors. I asked a lot of other pastors, where did this get started? How did we ever get to the point where we would put this up to a vote as to whether we're going to do what God told us to do? The Great Commission is very clear. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now, I don't, I don't think that, that anybody meant harm. And, and, and a lot of churches I know are still doing this. And, and I'm not saying that all of them are wrong and we're right. I'm just telling you my conviction. I couldn't do that anymore. And I don't do it. Somebody comes and makes a profession of faith. I say the same thing. Are you excited about their decision? And we all are. We're, we're excited about it. We say amen. We'll clap. But we don't vote to baptize them. Why? Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, told us to baptize them. That's enough. It's a dangerous thing. When we put ourselves and we get it in our mind then that we can vote as to whether we'll do what God told us to do. Now, we don't take this too far. I'll remind you again, as I have before, uh, my face isn't shining this morning. And it never has. So I can't come down like Moses did and say that I've been with God and God has spoken to me and I've got his word and, and you've got to do it because God said it. No, I, I don't have that. I don't make those kind of statements. You don't hear me say this. I don't stand up in front of the church and say God has told me to do this and therefore this is what we've got to do. I, I've never done that. Not going to. Not going to start. But we should be very careful about putting ourselves in a position where we're going to vote whether to obey God. You see, Moses did have that. Moses did have the shining face. Amen? Didn't he? Moses had been with God. They saw the tabernacle witness. Pillar of cloud that came down over the place where Moses was. They saw the burning fire, the pillar of fire. They knew when Moses was going there, Moses was hearing from God. They knew because he would come out with a veil on because they could look at him. They knew that Moses had heard from God and he could stand before them, prophet as he was, <coughs> with them uh, very clearly, very obviously seeing that Moses had heard the word of the Lord. Moses, remember, was the one who was giving them the law. <laughs> yeah, the law of Moses. Yeah, that, that Moses. The law. And so they come to him and said, you know, you're just taking too much on yourself. We need a lot more dialogue about this. We're not happy with the way things are going. Need to put it up to vote. After all, we're all God's people. We're all holy. Uh, the Lord's with us all. They ignored the fact that the Lord was obviously with Moses in a very special way. Um... All God's people are holy. God is among us all. These people didn't really have a real good track record for being holy. And God was not meeting with any of them in the same way that he had met with them. So Moses went straight to the source. He said in verse 8, Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself and to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve him? 
You see, God had put these men in positions of service. Uh, service. Service. They were to serve the people of God. Serve. Now, those service positions that has always been in God's work, those service positions were also positions of leadership. They would listen to the needs of the congregation and the questions of the congregation and bring them to Moses. Moses, in turn, would bring those concerns to God. He would bring them back to these men. They, in turn, would give the people the word of the Lord. So, though they were in a position of service, it was also a position of leadership. As the elders of Israel, some of these same men were allowed on Mount Sinai. Remember that God gave them a privilege of seeing him afar off. And Moses even alludes to this. It's a, a small thing that God brought you near to himself. That you saw God in a way that nobody else had seen God. Was that a small thing? A thing to be despised? But now, though they were in a position of service... Very, very carefully regulated by God. Now, though, they're demanding to have more of a say in everything that's going. There were two others named in this specifically. Uh, besides Korah, Dothan, and Abiram. And they did not show up for the meeting. So, so Moses sent for them to come. And they refused to come talk to Moses. They refused. We will not come up to talk to you. They'd talk to everybody else. Oh, but they wouldn't talk to Moses. Verse 13, there was their response. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of a land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? Except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us. Ah, I wonder where they got that. Remember, Moses was a prince in Egypt. And, and remember, Moses was known for killing somebody that didn't agree with him. Remember why? Remember I told you this was a very carefully laid out plan. Very careful plot they had put together. Well, Moses responded with a simple plan. He said the next day the whole congregation would gather around the tent of meeting. The tabernacle Aaron would take a bowl. It's called a censer in this passage. It's a bowl of incense. They would put incense in there, burn it. So the, the smoke would begin to come out of that. All of the other elders then, these 250 men who stood before Moses, would bring their censer of incense and they would ask God to choose which one of them would be their leader? Well, the first thing that happened was that God determined to move in judgment. Uh, but as he had so many times before, Moses interceded for the people. Fell on his feet or on his face before God and begged God, don't, don't see to it that, what, what, that the whole congregation would die for one man's sin. So as they gathered together, and there there was Aaron with his bowl of incense, and all those 250 other elders and their bowl of incense, and no doubt Korah and Dotham and Abiram, they were there with their bowls of incense. But there had to have been a hush that fell over the congregation when God said, move away from the tents of Korah, Dotham, and Abiram. 
move away from their tents. Now at that point in time, the death sentence of those men had been read. They were going to die. There's no doubt about it. No question about it. God said it. They all heard it. Move away from their tents. They knew what it was. But Moses spoke up. Now, if these guys just drop dead like people drop dead, then that won't mean nothing. It just They're going to die. But he said, now, if they died in an unusual way, So that the ground open up, opens up beneath their feet and swallows them up so that they go alive straight down into the pit. That's the abyss straight down into hell. If they go at the ground open up under them and they go alive screaming straight into the pits of hell. If that happens, then you'll know then you'll know who it is that God is really speaking through here. Verse 28, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. This isn't my will. That's what they're accusing him of. I just want to be the prince, and I'm going to kill anybody who gets But this isn't my doing. Moses could do a lot of things. But he couldn't make the ground open up all the way into the pits of hell and swallow people alive. Only God could do that. Poof. As soon as Moses finished the speech, that's exactly what happened. Verse 31, it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart unto them and the earth opened his mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Now later in Numbers chapter 26, God would say that these men's children did not die in the judgment. And I I was glad to see that. Again, as I studied through this, it was good to see that, that their children wasn't swallowed up with them. But we also learn as we read on in number 16 that the 250 men who were carrying those bowls of incense were all burned alive and they all died on the spot. So at that point, the rebellion was put down and the people honored Moses from then on. No. No, that's not what happened. Verse 41. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron, saying, You've killed the people of the Lord. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle meeting, and suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And God would then tell Moses and Aaron to move away from the congregation because his judgment was about to move against them. And it's no wonder these people have a heart full of rebellion. Even with what they saw happen to Korah and Dotham and Abiram, they were still coming back for more. And they got more. 
And as soon as Moses heard that, he, he spoke to Aaron, verse 46, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar and put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord, the plague has begun. And then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly and already the plague had begun. Sorry. The plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and he made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. And so the plague was stopped. And those who died in the plague were 14,700. We have to admire the faith of Aaron. I have to admit, if I would have been Aaron, I might would have given thought to, you want me to run out there? Tell you what, Moses, why don't you run out there? <laughs> the plague had begun. And people were just falling down, dead. By the thousands, it's like a wave going out. and Go run. You see Aaron then taking that censer running out there where people were dying under the judgment of God and he made atonement a covering for him and stopped the plague uh, it's an incredible message I'd, I'd love to just preach it all day I've, I've preached on that between the standing between the dead and the living you see that is very much what you and I do every Monday morning when we go out to the world we're standing between the dead and the living. You know, I, I can't preach that today. I don't have time. Now, you would think then that that ended the rebellion. No. At that point, after the atonement had been made, then God told Moses to bring 12 rods or staffs from the children of Israel. Picture a shepherd's staff. That's what it was. To the tabernacle of witness. And he required these leaders from every tribe then to write their names on them one by one. And Aaron would write his name on his rod. So there'd be no question about whose was whose. They left them in the tabernacle overnight. And the next day, number 17 and 8 says, Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. And behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds. Had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds and then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel and they looked and each man took his rod and the Lord said to Moses bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me lest they die After such an amazing time of judgment and such an amazing miracle as Aaron's rod budding and bringing forth ripe almonds overnight, surely the people would get off this rebellion kick and submit to God, right? Nope. They'd continue to rebel. There's a whole lot more dying to be done, and we'll see that Next week when we come back to look at the other two scenes of this rebellion. There's a lot more dying to be done. And you're going to be surprised at who ends up rebelling against God. Who gets caught up in this spirit of rebellion. 
who ends up dying under God's judgment. It'll be surprising. You'll see it next week. Part two of the high cost of rebellion. At its core, this whole story is about counterfeit revelation, about people believing something that stands in obvious contradiction to the Word of God. An entire book of the New Testament is going to be written later, the book of Jude. And it's written to warn us about false teachers who claim to have a special revelation from God or special beliefs in that allow them to contradict God's Word to us as it's given to us in the Holy Scriptures Now, in modern times, this plays out when people refuse to teach the whole counsel of God. Paul talked about that in Acts chapter 20 when he called together the Ephesian elders and he said to them, I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. The word shepherd, shepherd the church of God in Acts 20, 28 is the word pastor. It means to feed and to lead God's people, knowing that there's savage wolves all around. And so when men who stand in pulpits like this one uh, refuse to teach all of God's revelation, refuse to teach the whole counsel of God, it is a short trip then to changing God's revelation to us. To adapt it to modern culture, or as Vance Havner called it many years ago, the modern mind, not much modern, not much mind. Modern mind we see every day on the newscasts, it's all around us. It's on your Facebook feeds, it's everywhere, the modern mind. And it reminds me more and more about what the Bible says professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Folk, this is modern America. It's in our institutions of higher learning everywhere. It's in government, schools. You say, what in the world is happening to people? What are they thinking? Professing themselves to be wise, they've become fools. It's what happens when we turn away from God's truth. You see, we, it seems so simple at first, just a little, a little conversation, just want a little more input into things. We don't, we don't like the way things are turning out. We don't like these things that God says. We don't like the things God has told us to do. So let, let's just have a little dialogue about it, you know, put it up to a vote. Decide what we'll do. Doesn't seem like a big thing. But God sees it as rebellion. It reminds us then, and I, though this may seem a little bit self-serving, I don't mean it that way really. I'm not championing my role as much as I'm championing the role of the preaching of the Word of God. You see, it's no small thing when a man who is called to God preaches the Word of God and the power of the Spirit of God. When he preaches the truth, the whole truth of God, the whole counsel of God. God uses it then to establish in us His truth. We feel the conviction of it. We know that it's true. 
Because it comes to us in the power of the Spirit of God. We recognize error. And because we know the truth and because we recognize error, it enables us to avoid being caught up in the rebellious spirit so prevalent in our age. And I want to note again, a pastor does not have the right, I do not have the right, to point to this passage as a means of claiming some kind of divine authority for myself. And I'll say it again. <laughs> My face ain't shining. And if I'm going to stand before you and say, Thus saith the Lord God, I need to have my finger on a passage that is properly exegeted, we call it, that is properly interpreted, set in its context, so that I am not just proof texting something, but I've got you something, I can show it to you in the Word of God. That's why I go over the context. That's why we go through. It's why that I preach the way I do. I want you to see it. I want you to see it in its context so you can see it for yourself and know that this ain't just the truth according to Richard. This is a thus saith the Lord. And when I'm preaching to you the Word of God, then I do have I do have that authority because it's not mine. It's the word of the Lord. That's no small thing because it enables us to avoid being caught up in the rebellion. I did not plan this to be brought before you on this Sunday, graduate Sunday. So look forward to tonight. So thankful to see all of our graduates in service this morning. I can't tell you how much that means to me. It's not always that way, but it's so, so, such a blessing to us to see all of you young men here today. I didn't plan it this way, but it turned out this way. And I can't think of really anything more appropriate for you in 2023 to hear than about the danger of rebelling against God. Because you are already faced with it, but nothing like what you're going to be, young men. Nothing like what you're going to be. You're going to be faced with this decision over and over and over and over again. Will I believe the Bible? Will I accept God's truth as it's given to me in the Word of God? I'm not asking you whether you will always obey it. You will not. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the question is, when you fail, will you admit it? Will you say that God is right and I'm wrong? Will you repent of it? Lord, I have sinned against you. And if you will, then you'll experience that glorious promise of God. When he said, if he confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, you will have to make this decision. Because you are going out into a world that is rebelling against God. And you'll either get caught up in that rebellion. Or you'll stay true to what God has said in his word. If I could, young men, I'd make that decision for you. I can't. You'll have to make it. All I can do is show you. The high cost 
of rebelling against God. Let's stand together, please.